Welcome to Grow Your Dental Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Mohamed Ismail. I'm a cloud accounting expert and a business advisor to dental and medical professionals. My firm, Shift Accounting, has helped our clients reach their financial goals. We are absolutely passionate about the dental industry, so we created the Grow Your Dental Practice Podcast to provide you with valuable resources and help you grow your dental practice. I interview experts in the industry, extract all the wonderful knowledge they have, and give it to you, our wonderful listeners. Today in the podcast, I am talking to seasoned dentalpreneur, Dr. Jan Jaffer. Jan is the CEO of Trek Dental, a local DSO with a collection of 15 clinics in Calgary. And he's sharing his experience about building a dental clinic from the ground up and how Trek Dental grew from one clinic to 15. Jan shares a lot of insights with us today, and some of which include transitioning from a dentist to a business owner, growing a dental clinic with momentum, managing a dental clinic finances, how to build, grow, and encourage a great team, developing systems, using data to evaluate your clinic, and how to truly put your patients first. I'm excited to share Jan's story with you. There's a ton of value here, you can take away and apply it to your own clinic. And his focus on living your purpose was inspiring. So let's get started. I am super excited for today's episode. I've been working with Dr. Jan Jaffer and the Trek Group for close to seven years now and got to personally know the people behind this forward-thinking, fast-growing dental organization. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. There's so much to unpack here. Let's dive into it. Thank you, Dr. Jan Jaffer, for taking the time to speak with me today. Can you tell our wonderful listeners a little bit about yourself and how Trek Dental came to be? Thanks, Mo. Really happy to be here today. I mean, it's been wonderful working with you over the past seven years and excited to, to get an opportunity to do this. I appreciate that. Um, for me, you know, Trek Dental started, obviously, when I was younger. My father's a dentist, and, and he started his original clinic in 1981. I was fortunate enough to join him in 2002 after going to dental school down at University of the Pacific um, in San Francisco and came out with a pretty cool program that allowed me to graduate at 22 with my DDS degree. Um, so I joined dad's practice and worked with him for a couple of years and then got the opportunity to open a second practice, which was Royal Oak, which kind of ended up being my practice to get to learn to know how to do something from the ground up. Uh, that was in 2004. And then after that, we got some other opportunities a few years later to open a few more clinics. And since then, we've obviously grown up to 15 practices over the last number of years. So it's been it's been really quick in terms of the growth in the last few years. But the original, you know, number four or five you know, clinics that we had to get, that's really where we got the systems in place for the growth that allowed us to get to where we are today. Wow. Uh, obviously, there's so much, you know, to unpack here, so many questions that I have for you. What was the transition, you know, how did you transition from being a dentist to, I'm running a business here? Yeah, you know, that's that's almost a difficult question to ask because sometimes it just happens, right? I mean, it, it's it's not even that we planned it because honestly, when we got into, when I got into dentistry, the gr- the plan was to take over dad's clinic and, and run that. And when we got the opportunity to do a second clinic, that was exciting. And then we thought, okay, two dentists, two clinics, we can handle this. Um, you know, as the opportunities arose, we started to look at, you know, how is it that we continue to grow? 
and you know I, I go back to a conversation that I had somebody with somebody a while ago and it's if you do something well the only opportunity is it for it to grow I mean just naturally as you take even a little baby you feed it you do all the right things it naturally grows. And so for our organization, we kept actually growing and finding opportunities. And so that t took us to the point where we had to look back and say, okay, so what have we done well? How is it that we're able to continue to grow, to get patients to continue to come back, to get patients to continue to refer to us so that we get new patients and allow that organization to take a bit of a mind of its own and then and then manage it almost you know figuring out how to manage it along the way and then systemize it really so it did come from a bit of a backwards approach it wasn't a plan to grow but once we started to grow we really had to sit back and say okay we need to create systems around the growth what a fantastic story so you had to look backward to look at your you know what was working for you and develop your systems around that okay now let's talk about systems i mean you know, most of your clinics are built from the ground up, you know, and they became very successful. That's a lot of work, right? Mm -hmm. So what does it take to build and open and grow a brand new clinic? A lot, um, you know, and, and I think that people sometimes don't even realize the amount of, you know, work that goes into it. And even as we continue to do it, there's always little things that you have to keep looking back and saying, how do we do it? So for us, I mean, obviously, one of the interesting things is that location is important. I do believe that being in, being in a good spot does make a difference. And I know that's often the challenge for people is, well, how do I find a location? I mean, there's no silver bullet for finding locations. It's opportunities that come up. It's people that you're chatting with. But I do believe that, you know, in today's market, where we put dental clinics does actually make a little bit of a difference because there's two opportunities. Either you find a great location where people can see you or you're in a location where nobody can find you and then you have to spend the money on marketing. Our preference is to spend a little bit more on rent and find the right location and then, you know, take it from there. So, you know, after we have a location, you know, we look at dental clinics like our houses really. And so when I build a clinic, I'm not looking to try to build it for the cheapest dollar that I can or cut as many corners as I can to get a dental clinic built for a small amount of money. Even when you come in and you see the operatories in any of our clinics, I mean, our average operatories are usually 11 by 11 or sometimes even larger than that. They're large size operatories because guess what? We have to work there for eight hours a day. The patient's only there for hopefully one hour, maybe a couple of hours of their day. And so when building a clinic, I think, you know, the flow of the clinic, the how you set it up makes a huge difference for the staff that are joining you. Um, another aspect of it that we get into a little further along the way is looking at how technology affects dentistry. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Jim Collins, and I, and I truly believe that technology doesn't make the difference, but technology is an accelerator if you've done everything else right. And so making sure that we do the rest of the systems right first and then use technology to our benefit. Okay, so you know, we covered location. We, you know, we covered the design of the of the clinic and, and technology. Can you just maybe dive in a little bit in, in, in the technology and how it improves, you know, your, your flow and processes? Yeah. So for us, in terms of technology, I mean, digital is, is an obvious one now in dentistry, although, you know, having said that, it's interesting how many people I get to interact with that still are using some sort of film-based or some sort of chart-based system uh, where they still pull charts and write in charts. And, and I'm not sure how you can really be in the you know, 21st century and still be, you know, using, a, using charts. So for us, you know, using an electronic charting system, 
we use Dentrix. I mean, I love it because we're used to it. I'm not saying that it's the best out there. It just, it works for our organization because it's the first one that we put in and we know it the best. Um, you know, digital x-rays, but then it really goes, you know, somewhere different from there. Cause I think most people have those things down, but you know, the technology and integration in the chair does, is there an intraoral camera on every chair in the operatory? Do you have digital, an extra oral digital camera that you can use on patients? Do you, you know, have cone beam or digital imaging or digital impressions? So all of our offices, we use digital impressions. We've stopped using, you know, regular impression material. It's such a game changer. When you don't have it, you think, ah, it's not that big a deal. And then once you get it, you don't know how you functioned without it. Um, Many of our offices do have cone beam technology in it. We just feel we can give better service, whether it be for root canals, whether it be for implants, or really just for TMJ, airway space, you know, all things that we find really important in having a conversation completely about the patient versus just diagnosing, you know, cavities and crowns on patients. Uh, also lasers. So lasers are pretty important to us. We train all of our hygienists to be laser certified. And so you know, really every hygienist in our organization is laser certified, or if not, gets laser certified within the first six to 12 months of joining us. And that allows us to, you know, make sure, again, we're giving the best service possible to our patients. So, you know, technology really helps, right? You know, the, this, the, the question for a lot of dentists who are starting up, you know, I don't want to spend, you know, a lot of money. I don't want to be in, in, in so much debt. You know, how do you reconcile the two, you know, yeah. between um, I'm, I'm worried this is my first, you know, clinic or, you know, my, my, my second clinic, it's too much debt. How, how do you manage this conversation between how much should I spend uh, versus, you know, should I just work with what I have? So it, it is difficult, especially being on the new, new side. If this is your first build or if you're a new dentist and you've been working a couple of years and you're getting out into your own practice, I think that. It, it's a huge challenge for people. For us, you know, because of the success that we've had in the past, I mean, our thing is let's build it as if it was perfect day one and let's not continue to do things along the way. So, you know, we build out average clinics with seven operatories. We don't put seven chairs in, but we'll put five chairs in day one. I mean, I talk to people that have been open for two, three, four, five years and they have two or three or four chairs in their office. And so the plan was, you know, for us, the plan is always to hit to, to be where we want to be. And so looking, you know, go back to, you know, Stephen Covey and begin it with the end in mind, you know, look at where you want to be and then build it to that point. Don't build it for today and tomorrow, because I think the mindset's wrong in that situation. I think there's a challenge with, you know, where you're setting yourself up to be, but you know, is there a magic bullet? It, it, there isn't because, you know, what's the bank going to finance? How much money do you have in the last you know, just three years in Calgary, we've been involved with three bankruptcies uh, for people, you know, around us that we've actually gone in and, you know, taken over or helped or, or worked with. Um, and we know that there's more around. So we know that, you know, different markets are different. Obviously, Calgary has a different market than Vancouver and Toronto. And so you have to look at, you know, what you can afford, you have to look at what you can survive. But that's where I think, you know, building your own clinic, if you haven't been out five, six, seven, eight years, paid off your debt already. If you're, you know, free of, you know, really any student loans and the rest, I think that's the best time to start to look for things. I think some people want to do it so early in their career that they haven't stabilized themselves. They don't have the, you know, the ability to lose income or have no income for a number of months, which is how all of our clinics start. I mean, when you start a brand new clinic, there is no income in that clinic. The dentist that's working in that clinic really is making no money. 
Um, and so how do you manage making no money? Well, you have to have, you know, the nest egg. I know in in the real world, they say, you know, you need three months without a job. It's not, you need to be able to go significantly longer in dentistry with, you know, having money in the bank to survive if you're planning on starting a clinic from scratch. I love this. The start with the end of mind. I really, you know, it's, it's very counterintuitive for a lot of people who think that, no, I'm going to, you know, kind of start small, you know, and, and, and not focus on the big picture or how that end would, would look like. Um, you manage a lot of staff in this organization. Tell me about, you know, the, the staffing piece. It's a struggle for everybody. You know, how, how do you manage it? How do you build system around people? You yeah. know, do you start with your systems? Do you start with the people? Where, where, where do you start? So I think it's a good point. I think one of the things that, you know, I probably should have mentioned at the beginning and that I totally for, didn't, you know, didn't really talk about it, but it's a great point to bring it up now is, you know, values are very important in an organization. And if you set your values correct from the beginning, it allows you to build up on all of these things. So I think the value conversation is probably, you know, the most important conversation that we have. And, you know, not always the place that we start because people want to learn about, you know, like we jumped into dental clinics and building stuff. And it's like you get so excited and then you think, hold on a second, I need to manage staff. I need to manage a system. Well, what am I going to fall back on? And so, for those of you that don't know, Trek actually is our four values. And so they stand for teamwork, respect, exceptional dentistry, and continuous and never-ending improvement. So those are the four values that we have. And for us, we actually look at our values in order of importance. So teamwork being actually the most important value that we have in the organization. Uh, and building a team based on teamwork allows us to do things that I know everybody says, hey, we have a great team, we work, we build team and the rest. But if you look at what we've been able to achieve, it's because of our team. I mean, there is no way that we could have got the growth that we have. I mean, I believe we have about 120 to 130 staff and now 27 dentists in the group. Um, you know, it's a large group and it still has a family feel. And that's the thing that's very important to us as we continue to grow. How do you grow it, making sure that you are taking care of the people that are most important, which absolutely is your team. So, you know, even me as a CEO, when we have new team members that join, I spend four hours with the new team members every two to three months. So depending on when we do our orientations, but I'll actually run the whole new employee orientation for our team because I want them to get to know who I am and who we are as an organization, because I think that that's the most important thing getting into this is why are you here? There's you know, I, I don't know how many clinics in Calgary, but hundreds of clinics in Calgary, thousands of clinics around Canada, but they're working for us. And there has to be a reason. And it's not because we're paying more than the next person. We're not. We're paying industry average for our staff. It's not because we're giving them all of these other things monetarily to stick around because we know that that doesn't work. You know, one of the things that is very obvious in, you know, if you read any sort of information on how to take care of teams and build teams, money is not the driving factor. It is important and you need to make sure that you're paying your staff fairly, but that's not the reason that they're working for you. People do leave bosses, they don't leave, you know, jobs. And so you have to make sure that we've organized the system around taking care of our staff. And that's the part that we think is the secret to the organization truly is how we set up the system around working with team members, being a part of, you know, m making them a part of the organization and not just being somebody that works for you. So setting up your values you know, in a piece of paper is very easy. 
can write it down, you know, hand that piece of paper to everybody. How do you implement your values? Because, you know, if you're not paying people, overpaying people, right, you're not giving them, you know, all the, you know, low hanging or dangling fruits here, you know, must be something about the values that people actually believe it, right? How do you implement that? So values is an interesting conversation. I actually don't think you can come up with your values. I think values actually are come out of you. And so when we originally did our, our value conversation to figure out what were the values of Trek, we didn't sit down and say, what would we like our values to be? We sat down and said, what are the things that we do really well? And our values actually came out of the conversation. So we sat there and we actually had... We did this at one of our retreats, and I can get into a conversation of how our retreats work, but we did this at one of our retreats, and there was probably at that point, I believe, 40 to 50 staff members and dentists at this organization. This happened seven, seven odd years ago, so I think we've almost tripled in seven years, which is a little crazy. Um, but we sat down with them, and we said, tell us how you feel when you come to work. Tell us what's important to you when you come to work. Tell us what we do. And the dentists and the staff, we all wrote all these things down and we actually came down and created and their values came out of the conversation. Now, once you've got those values, our biggest challenge we found or we, we knew that we had to had to overcome was making sure that as we grew, these values stayed because we knew the group that we had at that point, five clinics, they all had the values. It was very close to home, the partners that we had, the people that were in the organization. It was very easy because of the number of people we were managing. But as we continued to grow, how do you make sure that those values continue as you go through? Well, I think a lot of that comes out of the interview process. I think a lot of that comes out of, you know, what you are actually doing. So do your actions match your words? Um, and so for our organization, we, we do feel our actions match our words. Um, you know, if you go to the Trek Dental site, you'll see the things that are important to us. Um, and that comes from, you know, again, spending time with the team. We close each office three days a year to do team development. And we don't actually do much dentistry at all in those team development days. It's how to develop the staff member to be a better person. Um, you know, Chip Wilson talks about in, in some of his stuff that you want to treat, you want to give the person the opportunity to do all the things that they want to do so that when they're working for you, they're giving you their best. And he says in his, you know, in his writing, in his book, that he knows that most of the people that work for Lululemon will not end up working for Lululemon as a career. So at least when they're there, he needs 100% of them. So how do you get 100% of them? You help your staff achieve the goals that they want to achieve. So it's actually finding out what's important to them and making sure you're fulfilling that side of theirs. You know, the other part that we often look at is we want individuals in our organization to be better people when they leave. Because again, we know that people will leave the organization. We know that they may not be here forever. Our hope is that they stay for a long period of time. And I think we've done well with long-term staff. But we want them to be better people when they leave the organization. So the skill set that we're giving them is not in dentistry, it's in life. And that is another reason that people want to stick around and be part of the organization. You're spending a lot of time in people development and closing you know, down the offices to do these training. How does that impact your bottom line? You know, if you look at it dollar for dollar, it's always challenging because how do you figure out what closing an office costs you and then how much money you get out of that closing? It's impossible to actually draw a direct line, but what we know is that we need people to stay because what does it cost to turn over a staff member? And if they don't want to stay, then they'll learn through the process that they're, this is not part of the organization they want to be. And how nice is it to have somebody actually leave the organization that you don't need or don't want in the organization? 
So for us, I mean, we've tried to cost it out, you know, closing 15 offices for three days in a year. I mean, impossible to truly cost that out, but hundreds of thousands of dollars of production. I mean, probably, you know, be getting into the six, even sometimes seven figures for what would be able to be done by 27 dentists for three days and 40 hygienists. I mean, how much production is lost over three days of time? But to us, that's not how we look at the situation. It's the potential of what we create with our team that makes all the difference. And so for us, you know, it's not even an op- option of whether we do that. It's it's part of, again, it's part of the values. If we say continuous improvement is one of our values, C in, in Trek, then how are we continuously improving our team members? I hear dentists all the time, oh, well, we have staff meetings. Well, so do we every six weeks. We close the office every six weeks for, you know, a two-hour staff meeting. So that's above and beyond, you know, the, the team development and all the rest that we do. But how is it that you don't step back? Because you know, every dentist says, well, I have the team and I help the team and I work with the team. And it's like, so when do you actually step away and either bring somebody in to do development if that's not your forte? I mean, I love team development, so I get to do a lot of it. And we have a team that helps us with that. But most dentists, that's not their skill set. So who are they using to help make their team better individuals? This is such a great example of how you live your values, right? When you have continuous you know, improvement as a value, you have to live it. And I think that's a great example of how you, you actually implement your values. Uh, talk to me about systems, you know. What does it take to develop systems for a clinic? It, it, systems is, is again, it's a, it's a tough one because even as we look at our systems, we think, man, we could do better with our systems. Like we're never we're never satisfied with what we have. I think that's another part of what helps the organization continue to grow is that we want to get better every single day. But our systems, you know, if we're talking about just strict dental systems, I mean, that falls into our exceptional dentistry category. So what are we doing? And it's not even that we're doing different than other people, but how do we put those things together? I mean, who hasn't heard about having an early morning meeting? Everybody talks about that. But we do it every single day at every office. We don't get our day started without actually having an early morning meeting. And some people will be like, well, we do that. Okay. You know, what else is it that you end up doing? So, you know, we same day emergencies. Somebody calls the office, they will be seen the same day. Now, again, not at 545 just before you're closing at six, but if they call you the first thing in the morning, we will absolutely give them opportunities to come and see us the same day. The number of patients that we've got from other offices, just because their dentist is like, well, I'm busy or I can't see somebody or, you know, can you come in tomorrow? They're away. I mean, those things make a huge difference as well. Um, But one of the biggest things that I think, you know, make us different is our new patient experience and how we spend time, you know, getting to know our patients, how we spend time making sure that it isn't something that is booked beside anything else. You know, dentists often like to run two columns of patients because they can dovetail from one to the rest. We actually look at a system and we say we say one chair dentistry. And so we are only allowed to book out of one chair for our patients. Yes, an emergency can go in the second chair. Yes, a bite adjustment can go into the second chair. But actually anything productive and to us, the most productive appointment of the entire day is a new patient exam, even though financially the least productive probably portion of your day, we will never double book any procedure or any new patient exam. And that, again, is a philosophy for us because the patient is there because of who you are. It's not because of your skill set. We know that they have no idea whether you did a really good filling or a really bad filling. As long as you didn't hurt them along the way, 
they're happy. But why are they coming to see you and not the guy down the street? It's because of the time that you're giving the patient. You know, if a patient ever says, wow, you seem busy today, all they've said is you're not giving me enough of your time. And that is something that to us, if we ever hear that, we know we've done something wrong because we do not want to make the patient feel too busy. So making sure that we have the enough time to, to work with that, you know, again, really important. How, how do you get the buy-in from, you know, your, your entire organization to truly, you know, follow these systems and, you know, which is... You know, when, you, when, you, when, you, when I hear that from a financial perspective, it's like, you know, people are thinking, like, oh, I'm not busy. You know, I have a new client that I need to, you know, build. How do you get people to follow these systems? Yeah, so I think it's, I think the interesting part about that is that as long as they can see that it's worked effectively, it makes a difference. And so for us, we have data, but we have dentists doing it. So when you look at the partners, people that have been part of the organization, I mean, our longest partner, um, you know, Jody has been with us now 15 years. When you look at how she runs her day, and then yet you see how productive they are. You know, I, I, I joke with dentists all the time, and I said, okay, I get one chair and one assistant. That's all I work with during the day. I've been fortunate that my assistant, Jen, has been with me 16 years. But one chair, one assistant. If you can outproduce me, you can have a second chair and a second assistant. But they can't because the way that we do things, again, how we're tight with our appointments, but not so tight that we're running behind because nobody wants to be behind. You know, having enough time, but being able to do the skills well after you've, you know, treatment planned and, and created the, the treatments that you need, all of a sudden that allows you to do things. And so when we get dentists in, we say, come and spend a day, spend a couple of days with us, learn how we're doing things, watch how you can run a day that's not stressful yet productive. Because Dentists I know that run two and sometimes three columns, they'll work six, seven, eight hours, and when they go home, they are spent. Like that is, they did everything they could to get through that day. And they generally have families at home. And how much effort and time can you put into your family if you've run off your feet for seven, eight hours of the day? You know, when I look at my schedule, if I feel like I've worked hard during the day, that's a problem. Because I want a good flow for my day. I want it to be a fun day. I want it to be a productive day. But I want to make sure that at the end of the day, I don't feel like it was just catching up all day long. So you're managing 15 clinics. What type of data that you're looking for to know that the clinics are you know, performing or doing what they should need to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. So for us, you know, there's so much data that you can look at and, and people put all sorts of stuff into data. Um, I just got to write an article for the special markets with Henry Schein and I tried to go over the important parts of what we look for in data. But, you know, what we're looking for is obviously production. That's important. Um, but when we, you know, get past the production, it's like, what are the costs that are important to us? And so we're looking at staff costs, we're looking at lab costs, we're looking at supply cost, you know, and, and that's about it for the important ones. I know there's another million that can go and, you know, rents in there and, you know, electricity and the rest, but I can't control my rent. I can't control my electricity. I, there's things that I can control and there's things that I can't control. And so the things that I know that I can control are my staff, you know, my supplies to some extent, and kind of how we're doing the lab stuff. Um, but we're also looking at, you know, dentist versus hygiene. So if a hygiene, if an office is producing $100,000, how much of that is dentistry and how much of that is hygiene? Because we know the higher 
the hygiene production, the more productive and profitable the office actually will end up being. And I know different areas of Canada is different with values of hygienists and what's going into that. But for us, we do know that, again, the engine of a dental clinic is hygiene. So we need to have a good hygiene, you know, practice. And if that's going well, then the dentistry is going well. And so what would we like to see? We'd like to see dentistry, the, the ratio of dentistry to hygiene to be really 60-40, 65-35. So dentistry is still going to be higher because per procedure we're, we're doing more. But, you know, if we can get if we can get to a 60-40 split, you know, you're really doing a good job. If you're at a 65-35, really not too bad. You know, if you're getting to 70-30, you're doing a ton of dentistry and not nearly as much hygiene, that's when we start to say, hey, you know what, are we are we making sure that we're taking care of the health of the patient as well as we could? Now, in some areas, obviously, if you're in a lower socioeconomic area, more social services, you're going to see the dentistry be slightly higher because of the need of the population. So, as you said, there's a lot of data out there, right? Um, you know, some, 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 with some dentists, they don't even get the data, but let's say they get the data. You know, and let's say they see, you know, things are not aligned where they should be, whether it's, you know, hygiene is, is not what it should be or, you know, uh, wages are not what, what they should be. How do you interpret the data and what do you do about it? Yeah, so, I mean, it's easy to see because, again, if you have, well, it's easy for us to see. I mean, we use Mo for our accounting, so we get a nice report at the end of every month, and that actually really helps. I mean, honestly, you need to be able to see your data. If you're not getting monthly reporting that's clean and easy to read, then how do you possibly have a chance of making this better? And even though we don't run by the numbers, I mean, the numbers are how we pay our bills. And so we have to be able to see good quality numbers as often as we can. So our, you know, our systems right now allow us to see, you know, we can see all the offices whenever we want. But in terms of reporting, we get monthly reporting. And as interesting as it is, you know, we're looking at a way to try to get this to be even faster because we think that monthly might not even be, you know, fast enough in terms of what we're looking for. But when we get that monthly reporting, I mean, yeah, there's a couple of numbers that we look at and we're looking at, yeah, production, we're looking at hygiene. And so if the hygiene number is low, then we go back and, um, you know, we look at we look at different systems. Uh, one of the systems that we have in place right now, Recall Max, we go back and we say, okay, how are we doing for booking hygienists? What's our book back rate? What's our percentage? How many patients do we actually have in the office? Because there's numbers that are very easy to calculate based on the number of patients you have. You have a number of patients, they should be coming in twice a year, you kind of, you know, average that out and you say, okay, I should have a thousand hygiene appointments or 3,000 hygiene appointments. Well, am I seeing, you know, divide that by 12, am I getting those hygiene appointments coming through the door? If I'm not, then it could be either a problem with how the reception is doing things, but we really try to blame our receptionists. Our thing is, how are the hygienists doing with creating value for the patient, and are they booking the patient back? Our goal is to have 80 to 90% book back done out of the hygiene chair. So before the patient leaves, they're booked with their next appointment. And, and really important because if we've built value for that appointment, then the patient's coming back. If our hygienist is booking all the appointments, yet we're getting a ton of no-shows or a ton of changes, then we're simply booking patients back, but they don't understand the importance of what they're doing. And for us, you know, looking at making people healthier. You know, again, probably a conversation I should have started with is, you know, what's my why? Because I always like to say start with why. Simon Sinek is one of my favorite authors at this point. And it's, you know, making people healthy and and educating people to be able to give back. So so, the, so my why revolves around two things. It's, it's healthier people and allowing people to give back more. So 
in the dentistry world, obviously, as we're seeing patients, our big goal is to make healthier people. So it's about their oral health, but it's about the rest of their health. And I think, again, a part that dentistry misses a lot because we get to see patients a lot more than anybody else is are you talking to them about their overall health, not just their mouth health? But I kind of get off the line. Again, I'm going to go back to numbers again and go back to systems again. So, you know, that's how we're looking at the hygiene numbers. When we're looking at the staffing numbers, again, industry average has staffing somewhere 26 to 28%. I mean, I've seen stuff at 30, 32%. Just just saw an evaluation just yesterday on an office, 35% staff wages, right? I mean, they're actually losing money every single month because of their rent and their staff wages. Their production can't keep up with that. Um, and so why? Why are the staff wages so high? I mean, looking at what the staff is able to do. So again, it goes back to training. It goes back to you know development of the person and development of their skill set. And so we want to make sure that the staff wages are really in the low 20s. I mean, we can we can easily achieve that on a, on a general basis. And people say, well, that's impossible. It, you can't do something like that. And it is, again, when you look at how single-day dentistry is set up, right? If we have two dentists, we have three assistants. We don't have four or five assistants, which I've seen in many offices. You know, some of the numbers, that, some of the benchmarks that we look at is, when do you need one receptionist? When do you need two receptionists? So our mark is somewhere between eighty and hundred thousand dollars of production you could handle with one receptionist. If you get past eighty to a hundred, and again, it really just depends on the situation. Um, that's when you need the second receptionist. So we find, in a general sense, offices are overstaffed, and it's because they're just not trained enough to do their job. Because if you came to our team, we don't overwork our staff. They don't leave the day being overworked. But we've created systems around how good the dentists can do their dentistry and how the staff can do their work. And when we put those two things together, we can just be more efficient with our time. That's really uh, amazing. So number one, start with your values. That's what drives, that what should drive your decisions. Number two, if you take care of uh, healthcare, dentistry, business will grow, mm-hmm. right? The numbers would, 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 would start to make sense. Right. So if you take care of the patient, you know, it's good for business. So how do you put the patient first? Yeah. So putting the patient first, and I know, like I said, a lot of dentists say, yeah, we put the patient first. Um, But what are you doing to actually put the patient first? How are you setting up their experience to make sure that it's the best experience possible? Because what we know is that patients walk into a dental office, and the first thing that I hear in most new patient exams is, I hate the dentist. (laughs) <laughs> and they're very uncomfortable when they walk through the door, right? Patients just naturally, there's, an, there's a level of anxiety that patients feel when they walk through the door. So how are we helping lower that anxiety and making sure their experience is a good one on the way out the door? Um, so, you know, a lot of little things. One is obviously, again, what does your office look like? If you walked into your office, would you like to spend an hour in there? And, you know, I it blows my mind when I walk into dental clinics and how they look when you walk through. I mean, aesthetically, it's very important. It needs to be as nice as your living room. If it isn't, then that's what you're telling the patient. You're like, well, I actually care more about my house than I care about the people that are allowing me to earn my living and and do the things that I need to do. So, you know, that's one of the things. But time to me is very important. You know, do you run on time 98% of the time? If you don't, then it's disrespectful to the patient. The patient has set up an appointment. They expect to be seen on a certain time. They expect to leave on a certain time. Now, of course, things go sideways in a day. But for us, running on time is, you know, of utmost importance. 
And then have you turned the patients into you know, fans of your office? Well, how are they going to be fans? Really by making sure they just feel like real people. They're not a number. It's not a game. We're not trying to get through as many people as we can through the, through the day or through the door. We're creating relationships. One of the things that I tell all my docs as they do their you know, new patient experiences, have you learned 10 things about the patient? And what does that mean? I don't know, their work, their family, where they live, you know, when they move to Calgary, what they like to do for fun. I mean, you need to know these things about the patients because that's, again, how the patient feels comfortable. But it's also how you connect with the patient. There's somewhere along the lines you're going to have a conversation and something is going to click, whether it's, oh, I have kids, you have kids. Okay, let's have a kid conversation. Or I love to you know, do CrossFit. You love to do CrossFit. Well, that's the conversation that we're going to have. But if you're not having conversations with these patients, how are you making them feel comfortable? So it's really, you know, building the clinic around the patient. I mean, this is really amazing stuff. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's very counterintuitive, right? I want to, you know, be fast. I want to see multiple people, you know, I need to go, go, go. And what I'm hearing is, Slow down to speed up. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you summarize that perfectly. Slow down to speed up. We need to make sure that we slow down so we can do the best work that we can. And guess what? The rest will come. I know I know it sounds so cliche, but if you build it, they will come. If you build it the way that you want it to be, if you look at what you would want in that appointment, if you look at how you would like to be treated, I mean, go to your favorite restaurant, go to your, you know, favorite massage therapist or chiropractor or any, any service that you spend money at. What do you want that feeling to be like? Make sure that that happens inside your clinic. And if it does, people are going to continue to come. I mean, you look at the Calgary economy right now, and there's a lot of problems happening in the economy. And in a general sense, we're growing almost everywhere that we're at. You know, if not stable, at least, we're not going backwards. Why is that? You know, 31, we're 38 years in ranch lands in an office that, you know, there's no new growth around this area. We're very inside a community and still getting 30 to 40 new patients a month every month, right? It's because of the relationships that we're building. We're seeing patients that have brought their kids in, and the craziest part is now they're bringing their kids in. So three generations of patients, and that's what you want. Those relationships, I mean, when you know the grandparent, the parent, and the grandkid, I mean, it's it's absolutely amazing. I had a great you know interaction yesterday with a patient at our Royal Oak office, and she was, we were talking about her daughter, and she's like, she's in grade 12 turning 18. I said, that's impossible. When she came in, she was like three years old. She's like, yeah, she was three years old. She's 18 now. She was one of our first patients at Royal Oak in 2004. They're still patients of that office, even though they've moved. They no longer live in that area. It's that relationship of you know seeing that, and that's, that's the fun part about it, right? That's why we love dentistry is the people. I, I mean, what a, what a success story here. So... You've been a dentist for 17 years? 17 years, yeah. Right? Uh, you had to make a lot of decisions. Some are possibly bad. Some had like a lot of valuable, you know, uh, learning opportunities. T- tell me about, you know, some of the valuable, you know, learning opportunities you had. Well, that's a good question. It's always like, yeah, what do you, what do you, what do you tell your, you know, if you go back 15 years, what would you tell yourself? Um, I think that you can't be everybody's dentist. So I think you have to be comfortable knowing that, you're, that not everybody is going to be completely satisfied or completely happy with you, even though you do your best, and being able to go home and live with that. Because there are people that come into the come into your world, both staff members and patients, 
that will tell you you're doing things wrong or say, well, you know, I came in and there was no problem and now I've left and there's a problem. And you, you know that you ha- you've done your best. And if you've done your best, you have to be comfortable living with that because there are going to be times where it, your best just may not have been enough for that person. And that's okay. You know, being comfortable living with who you are and knowing that that's going to be the situation. I mean, even with staff members, I think we have some of the best staff in the world. I mean, I'll, I, I, I truly believe that. But there are people that have left the organization that say, we don't like the way you do things. And you sit back and you reflect on that. And, you know, I always, um, again, going back to Jim Collins, the window in the mirror. If you're successful, you look out the window and you look at your team and you look at the people around you and you give thanks for how you've gotten there because of the what you have. When there's a problem in the organization, you look in front of the mirror and you say, what could I have done better? Because by blaming somebody else for that problem, we're never going to get ahead. And I think it's really important to know that, you know, if you've done everything you can, then fantastic. But there's always something more that you could have done. There's something along the lines of that relationship. And, you know, again, we've had issues where staff do leave. And when I sit back, I think, you know, the problem was not how we did things. The problem was we didn't build the relationship strong enough with that person because they felt that a dollar or two difference made the difference for them to leave. The interesting thing is we've just recently had, you know, three staff members that have come back after thinking that the grass was greener somewhere else. And they said, hey, you know what? We needed that experience to go somewhere else to figure out that this organization truly does take care of the people. Uh, You know, one of the other things that, that I think you know, is really important and and a lot of dentists won't agree with this, but I think a bonus system is the worst thing you could possibly put into your office. If you you don't understand why, and I probably don't have enough time to explain all of it, read uh, Daniel Pink's book called Drive. And it talks about how if I was to pay you 10% more and you work 10% harder, I should fire you. Because my opportunity for you is that I'm going to pay you fairly and I expect 100%. Now, I need to make sure that I am taking care of you when you're working with us. When you're doing all these things, you are rewarded for the amount of work that you're putting in, but not through a bonus system because bonuses are very counterintuitive and actually cause a lot of damage to organizations. There is a lot of self-reflection and, you know, looking inward to build systems, to improve relationships and, 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 and do that. How do you manage all this? When do you personally have time to do this? <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes my wife might argue that I do a little bit too much of this. But, you know, I go back to purpose and passion. And I think it's a it's a great way to kind of almost wrap up some of the stuff that we're talking about. But you have to have a purpose in life. Because if you have a purpose, then you know what you're trying to do. Um, and sorry, I said that wrong. It's purpose and profit, not purpose and passion. So purpose and profit. So as long as you have a purpose, you now have, in order to to truly live that purpose, there has to be the ability, there has to be some money in the, the, the pot to do something like that. So when I look at my purpose and I go back to, you know, motivating people to give back and live well, you know, one of the things that has driven me throughout my career is the ability to help others. I got into dentistry to help others. I mean, that was truly the reason that I think anybody gets into dentistry. It's not a glamorous profession in terms of working inside people's mouths, but you can make a huge difference in somebody's life, take them out of pain and all the rest. And so, you know, when when we started growing, you know, you, you definitely get people that joke around and they say, well, you know, you had two clinics, you have five clinics, you have 15 clinics, don't you make enough money? Fair question. And my question is, well, 
what you do with that money is who, what truly defines you. So can your impact be larger if you have more? Yes, as long as you're taking what you have and making a bigger difference with it. So, you know, I mean, I know Mo's gotten to know me, but one of the big passions that I have is, is, is dentistry overseas. So I spend between two and four weeks a year doing dentistry overseas. I mean, crazy story, but I met my wife on a trip overseas doing dentistry. She happened to be from Edmonton, unfortunately, but, you know, it, uh, you know, it was one of those amazing things. And so here's the thing is that if you, if you have a purpose, if you want to truly take care of people, but not only affect the people in your area or your patients, but affect the people in your area and then the larger community, um, we take that very seriously. If you look at some of the stuff that we do in the organization, we have a socially conscious event or thing happening at least at least every quarter, but actually usually for us every couple of months. And so we're always doing something to give back to the community. And to me, that's what that's what truly makes a difference. And, and what I look at with our team is people either have time or money. They generally don't have both. So you have to try to figure out how to balance their time and balance their money. And so for our team members, they're often willing to give time, but maybe not necessarily the money. So we'll volunteer dentistry. I mean, we've, we, we cre- we've created a clinic with in combination with CUPS, downtown Calgary. And every Thursday, we send a dentist, a hygienist, an assistant, and a receptionist to run this clinic for free. Um, And we don't pay our staff to go. So they don't have to go, but they're given the opportunity. And that's how I look at it. It's not an ask, can you go work for free? It's like, would you like the opportunity to give back? And if you want that opportunity, come. And our staff members love that opportunity. I mean, many of them are like, hey, when do I get to go back again? How do I get down there? I really want to help. And that's the type of organization you want to create. Because if those are the people that are on there, you know, you're living your purpose, but they're also helping you create the profit to be able to do that. I mean, we wouldn't be able to run a clinic for free if we weren't successful because we're paying for equipment and supplies and all of those other things. We wouldn't be able to help the number of people that we do, both inside Calgary and outside Calgary, if we didn't have that. So to me, as long as I'm living my purpose, everything just lines up. And yes, some days it gets challenging. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, running all these clinics, there are definitely times where, you know, you look at it and you say, wow, like there's a lot of stuff happening at this point and there's a lot of extra time that I didn't expect. but then when you get the opportunity and you, and you look at your staff members and, you know, you hear their stories about being able to help and volunteer and do things that, that make a huge difference, you realize it's for all the right reasons. My impact with 150 people is significantly higher than my impact with 10 people. And so I know that we can continue to do better. And I know as long as we continue to take what we're doing and make other people's lives better, then we're doing it for the right reasons. Jan, it's uh, the end of 2019. There are a lot of changes in the dental market. What are your predictions, you know, on the changes that will happen in the dental market over the next five years? So I do think consolidation, it's already happening. I think it's going to continue. I think there's no question that consolidation in dentistry is 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 coming. I mean, you can see the larger groups that are playing, and, and they are consolidating a lot of stuff. Here's my opinion. I actually don't think it's a bad thing. I know there's a lot of dentists out there that say, hey, you know what? It's, you know, cheapening dentistry. You're not taking care of the patient. You're not doing all these things. I, I don't believe that because I believe that dentists are able to treat their patients the way they want to. And if you don't want to be a part of the organization, you don't have to. Um, but I think, this is a, I think there's a place for everybody. I think there's a place for the consolidators. Um, we don't look at ourselves as consolidators because we truly have partnerships with all of our 
dentists. We run each clinic individually with a partner at the clinic level, and that partner needs to be at the office four days a week or they can't be a partner in the office. And so we do look at ourselves as a partnership model, not a corporate model. But you're going to see that, and then you're going to see the individual dentist still survive, but it's going to be a little more challenging. Definitely going to be a little different because how do you create the systems that we have? How do you do the social responsibility that we have? How do you do the, you know, just the camaraderie? I mean, the biggest thing that I find makes a huge difference for our docs is that they can talk to somebody else because they're part of the team. If you own your own practice and you'd run into a problem, you have to call a friend. And and absolutely that works. But if they're part of the organization, they already want to help you. There's no question. And so I think the single dentist is going to have a bit more of a challenging time, especially with, you know, just again, being able to manage the system the best. Because a dentist in and of itself is the main provider, the CEO of the organization, the HR of the organization, the bill payer of the organization. I mean, they have to do everything. And it's impossible to be good at all of those things. And so for us, you know, we find people that we can work with. We find an accountant like Mo. We have a full-time HR person. We have, you know, we have full-time people in a lot of different positions that allow them to do the best job that they can so we can support other people. And so, you know, it, it is. I think there's opportunities to go the corporate route. I think there's opportunities to work with us. I mean, we we work with a lot of people that want to own a portion of their practice, and they come to us and say, can I own part of my practice, but can I, you know, leverage off the systems that you have? Yes. Do we pay the same amount as DCC and 123 and all these other large organizations? No, because it's not about a corporate model. It's not about running a return, although we're very profitable. It's about working with people to make sure that everything is done and people feel comfortable and happy at the end of the day. And again, not saying that those other organizations are not doing that. I just, I do see it being different. That's awesome. Jen, I mean, we can probably spend uh, an extra few hours to, you know, kind of just discuss things. Um, I really appreciate your time here. Um, I, I, there's a lot of value even for me, and I, we've been working together for almost seven years. There's always something new that I learned from you. Um, if somebody wants to get in touch or say hi or want to you know, get involved in you know, the CUPS clinic, how can they reach you? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the, the easiest way, I mean, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, is probably an easy way to find me, but I, I have no problem giving out my email to people. So, I mean, you can follow me. You can you can just send me a quick email. It's drjan at trekflow, T-R-E-C-F-L-O-W.com. I mean, we're definitely always interested in learning from people, working with people. I mean, I think everybody has something to teach you. And so uh, for us, we're excited. We continue to grow. It's It's been a fun ride and, and we're just, we're really looking forward to the future because I think there's a huge opportunity to to continue to help more and do more. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Mo. Thank you for joining us today on Grow Your Dental Practice podcast. I would like to thank our corporate partner, Zero, a beautiful accounting software. If you'd like to know more information or just want to say hi, visit our website, Shift Accounting. That is shiftact.com, or you can reach me directly at Mohammed, M-O-H-A-M-E-D, at shiftact.com.